0: tickle on the back of my throat which isn't ideal when you're recording but anyway uh, episode 13 Um, amazing how these whittle by but uh, there certainly has been a relentless nature to the website of late just trying to get things up in advance of the is it on is it off tasting technical things Um, it's been a mad couple of weeks hence why i haven't really managed to do this until now and um, i'm glad to obviously sit down for a little bit and just um, relax I suppose and talk about some of the things we've put online on the website so there's going to be two uh, actual pieces uh, today uh, we're going to talk a little bit about um, a great entry from the 26th of June 1942 from the logbook, and we're also going to talk about the bill of sale from the 10th of January 1955 now probably we'll start there and let's get it done Uh, there has been a a flurry of these appearing on ebay um from one particular seller who must have a cache of uh, montrose related whiskey documents that they are selling off one by one at increasingly higher start prices and longer duration so uh, yeah yeah you can see why um so um they seem to be doing very well these Glenvor documents uh, to some of the other ones are certainly desirable and in demand and as usual on ebay it all comes down to the final seconds and as i've said before these options close when um i'm in the my, ch- my son's bedtime routine so that you know you can't defend your position all you can do is stick your maximum bid in which you think is reasonable and walk away and every time now outbid so if someone wants to pay more for something then you can't stop them you know it's like uh being on a the a9 or something and you're driving as fast as you want to go guaranteed there's somebody behind you want to go faster so just let them go you know, you know there's no hassle in it just move on but this particular document from 1955 was a great one um it featured uh, 20 hogsheads at um i think seven pounds each which Goodness, it must have been a bargain back then. But um, the most amazing thing about it, apart from the type, typing, I love old typewriters and uh, the typeface and the, the detail, you know, and you can tell almost uh, certain numbers and letters have been accentuated by just a firmer press, you know. So it's, it's got almost like a signature in it, and it does have actually a signature of a Bernie in it, paid with thanks, and we do think. Uh, uh, one of them is in it, so that's fine. You know that would have been such a cool thing to own, but it wasn't to be. Um, and like buses, at the moment, there's bound to be another one. What was interesting, I'm sure, about the the document was um, it actually talked about where they were warehoused in Glenvor, and it gives us an idea of how they um, numbered and well, not numbered as such. How they laid out their cask inventory. So these were in. Um, warehouse uh, 17b and 17c now if you've been a regular hardcore uh, glenvore follower uh you'll know glenvore did not have that many warehouses and i suppose potentially you could think well they might include the Glenalbyn warehousing and maybe that might touch upon 17 but uh, it's not the case it does say glenvore so i would think uh, 17b and 17c being reasonable and thinking about it logically would mean warehouse one row seven layer c uh, warehouse one row sorry warehouse one row seven layer b so they're clustered together which makes sense and probably 10 on each layer so i think that is probably the most realistic conclusion we can come to that and uh you know this is an era before barcodes and scanners and I remember talking to uh, more modern day warehousemen, and they they hated uh the barcoding and the scanners because they were just constantly scanning stuff uh I suppose it does make things easier to track and trace although the industry would have us believe that casks still get lost and rediscovered which okay but I do there's something tactile and romantic I suppose and faithful and traditional about a proper painted cask you know um, obviously there's a color scheme for how many times it's been refilled but then if you've got the distillery name on it you've got uh, the, year, the vintage the year uh, you've got the cask number I think that's great you know you know, and when they're lined up like that it's fantastic and you can see just drift your eye across a row of casks and almost you're looking back through time you know I've I've been very fortunate to be in some warehouses to see some great casks uh, one particular favourite was seeing a, a row of 1950s Glenn Grants you know um, just sitting there you know um, over nearly 70 years old all of them um, that was amazing so, But just to think you know when with the numbers on them when those casks were filled you know the men and the the t- that time and the processes and the production, all these things, you know, it just goes through your mind. Whereas a barcode and scanner, I think it sort of loses something, doesn't it? But yeah, I, can, I can see why. But certainly, you know, the newer distilleries that still do it, I, I really think, you know, I really appreciate seeing that they do those little extra touches and some of the old ways have not died away. Anyway, that document got it's gone somewhere but hopefully it'll turn up someday and people will be able to see it and enjoy it for what it is the other uh piece was uh logbook entry for the 26th of june 1942 now uh i was reading this and yeah it it brought back memories and i talk about this in the article which is linked below because it mentions the nafi which some people might know uh what it is because it's it's very scaled down but i used to live on naval bases when i was a kid so i knew The naffy was the shop, you know, you would go and, yeah, slightly a bit more expensive at times with certain things, maybe a a little bit more of a a selective selection, Um, but it was basically the army and navy stores where you would go and um, people on bases or married quarters that's where you get your provisions um by that i mean general food stuff and drinks and stuff Uh, so when i saw that mentioned uh in this entry it was um of interest you know it brought back those memories but anyway i'll read it to you and it's from gilbert w peterkin and certainly it looks like gilbert is responsible for both sites now that's the trend i was seeing at the time of this entry and subsequent pages he seems to be overseeing Glen Albin which I think on this entry is just about to close very soon and Glennvor will follow and we can bring you those exact dates in future logbook entries um, which is great because that sort of detail you don't really get you know there's a lot of books out there that say distiller just closed 1941 or some 1942 generally they don't talk about them still doing um, distilling in 1943 but Definitely the case in Inverness. The two distilleries were still going. I don't know about Melbourne, I think it probably was, but uh, I can't find anything out about that yet. But, you know, when we start researching Melbourne, who knows what we'll find. Certainly, Glenvore has proven to be quite the surprise. Anyway, the entry itself, uh, dated the 26th of June, 1942. Honourable Sirs, as he always begins. I have to report that at, I think it was 4.10 on the 24th instruction. This is sort of a a style um, of dating the ex-Heisman um, notes. I think the 24th is probably the 24th of June. Uh, I received telephone message from the Glen Alban Distillery in Van that their naffy food store there was on fire. So immediately we know... Um, a lot of Scottish distilleries were used for grain storage during the war. They were ideal for that. Obviously, they had warehouses, they had large sites, they had floor maltings, you know, so they could store grain. And they obviously had some of them had silos and things like that. So they could be utilised and many were. So it looks like Glen open. well, it doesn't look like it is. It has a naffy food store. Um, in that, I would say we're not talking about a supermarket or a convenience store. We're actually talking about a storage facility for grain uh, as a almost like a distribution center i would say um so yes their naffy food store was on fire a brick wall divides number five from the food store so immediately we can see once we've done the glen Alban research and identified where the number five warehouse was we will then know where the food store was now i know a little bit about glen Alban because i have done a preliminary research and that includes the plans and you would think you know all those warehouses on the waterfront would have been done in numerical order that's not the case there is actually one of them I know for sure Um, there was a gap between two of the clusters of the warehouses and they put a much smaller warehouse in between them effectively closing up the space making it one line of warehousing so I don't think the numbering will be as what we think it might be but that's to be discovered future day um without delay i proceeded to the distillery so you can think of gilbert during war times maybe blackout you know, dashing across uh telford road telford street sorry um to glen and i think again that underlines that he is either covering for somebody or he is responsible for both sides and i think it's probably that he is responsible for both now during the war Uh, without delay i proceeded to the distillery and learned upon arrival that through the combined efforts of soldiers enlisted so we do know i've spoken to uh, dave at the local inverness history group and he does confirm that there were soldiers stationed in the area um because of the strategic importance of that um bridge um at Muirtown but also um, they believe there was a munitions storage facility nearby as well. So there would have been soldiers in the area. Um, There, the fire service and distillery staff, the fire was practically extinguished. I found number five distillery warehouse door open and the police constable standing guard. The shackle of the revenue lock had been cut. Now that is a serious offence when somebody cuts the, the lock. Um, without uh, the excise when being present. And obviously, these locks, um, I remember a distiller having to pay a lot of money. Um, this is modern days for a customs and excise lock. I think it was forfeit. 800 or 1,000 pounds maybe, or was it more? But Literally, it's just a normal lock that you can probably buy for 20, 30 quid elsewhere, which I'm sure some distilleries have done, but it gives you an idea of the, I guess, the symbolism of it. Um, and. Some people, obviously, you want the official thing, you probably want to pay more. Uh, the shackle of the nerve revenue lock had been cut and on the distillery manager's instructions and the warehouse entered. So I, I guess the haste was of the essence here. Distillery workers and a fireman under the supervision of the manager and the commandant of the fire service removed removing casts of spirits stored near the brick wall. To other parts of the same warehouse, the wall was warm to touch. Page two observation was also for the fire in the woodwork of the roof being kept, and fire extinguishers were at hand, so this fire was caught early. It was starting to spread to the distillery warehouse, where obviously flammable liquid, uh, a lot of wood, um, and probably very old wood for Glenallan—you know, going back to um, well, the original Glenallan is in the 1840s. Uh, I don't know if the warehousing is exactly that because of the fire in 1848 1849 off the top of my head um possibly not uh, so but still it would have been fairly old because the when open as we sort of know it or knew it was um, refurbished and reinvigorated I suppose in about 1880. 384. Um, I'm a bit sketchy on Glenelg, but um, uh, shortly after, shortly bef- shortly before John Burney took over uh, in the 1880s. So there's your timeline. Um, as a sorry, I'm just catching up on this. Uh, yes, on being informed of, by telephone of the position, the surveyor arrived shortly afterwards at of. 11 something 11 pm maybe when the casks next to the dividing wall were all shifted and the commandant satisfied that the danger of fire was over the warehouse door was locked with a fresh revenue lock so somebody had one to hand as a precautionary measure the manager a member of the fire service so then you've got a little bit of detail there you know he's a part-time fireman um again visited the warehouse at couldn't read the time and found everything normal Originally there was no dividing wall in the building, but at the beginning of the present hostilities, the food control re- requisitioned part of the building and a wall was then built, question mark. So it sounds like, yes, it's been used to storage for grain and they've put a dividing wall into the, wer- the warehouse to separate the maturation area from the grain area. And uh, interesting, um, because how, how that grain was deposited and moved. Was that, did they have a back door? If you get my drift, uh, we might never know. As a result of the fire, part of the roof of the food store and part of the office was burned and the quantity of food should be water, but the distiller warehouse and its contents escaped destruction. Um, Yesterday I examined the warehouse and all the cast externally, and I'm satisfied with the security of the warehouse is, next page, unimpaired and the cast of Spirit, apart from shifting, have not been interfered with. The distillery is silent at present. I am your Honourable Sirs G. W. Peterkin. Uh, an entry a reply from the Commissioner of Customs and Excise in London. Proceedings approved. Uh, the loss appears to have arisen and the security of the warehouse is stated to be unimpaired. See enclosures two and three. Would have been great to have these enclosures. Presumably, the office in the warehouse remains satisfactory. Uh, further action appears to be necessary, and the broken lock should be returned for repair. So they want their lock back. And it's interesting this mention of a, an office in the warehouse. Uh, that will become more relevant in a future Glenvor log logbook entry. But wait and see. So there's an awful lot here. Firstly, we've got um, nobody knew about this fire it was caught early but it was still a fire and nobody knew about it and I couldn't find any record of it or any publication that had it so this is a first and probably the reason for that is the time when it was recorded it's during the war you don't want to advertise hey we've got flammable liquid and we've got a grain store here um you know come please come bomb us you know that sort of thing you don't want to advertise what site has been repurposed that so it sounds like Glen Alban is a food store and there is armed there's an armed presence nearby you know that was kept out nobody knew that and certainly speaking to the Inverness um, local history forum they never knew about this either and they never knew that Glen Alban had been repurposed in part during the war so we've got that real insight there as to what was happening Alan Winchester obviously sent it to Alan just for his thoughts, and he was, um, you know, mentioning it's very interesting that part of the buildings are being requisitioned and mentions the current Long- Longman industrial area was an airfield at this time, which is nearby. If you know Inverness, uh, yes, um, that's correct. And you could sort of feel why like a lot of industrial estates were formerly... Um, airports, um, landing strips, etc. Because it just lent themselves well. So certainly, um, not too far from me is um, Dalgetty Bay. Uh, They have an industrial park, and that was originally the airfield which um, could be used to defend the bridges and things like that. So you can see the logic. Um, Alan goes on to say, The cutting of the customs and excise lock was a serious matter, hence the call to the severe." And I agree, a, a close run thing so it's a great entry really really great entry and it gives us a sense of gilbert rutt looking after both sites uh, you know a real fire averted you know and if there had been a sizable fire then perhaps it would have been known by the public and reported to a certain extent but none of that at all this has been totally off the books hushed and probably the only record of it is in this logbook, and perhaps in London, uh, the official customs and excise summaries, uh, which would be quite amazing to get a hold of somehow for um, Scotland. Hmm. Anyway, I'm thinking ahead, but um, you never know. I, yeah, I I just really enjoyed finding that one. You know, you're you're seeing, this is the first real detailed entry of Glenalbin in a Glenvore logbook. And a fire and everything else. I thought, yeah, you know, this is what why we're doing what we're doing with history, and we're bringing it back to life. So it's a great article. Um, all hands on deck scenario, obviously, but yeah, uh, you know, it's just indicative of what is coming in this logbook, and it's uh, it's wonderful to be able to bring it to life and to people who really enjoy it. So. Yeah, I'll leave it at that and I will see you for the next episode. Thank you.